One day, Kuei Shan was attending to his teacher, Pai Chang. The latter asked him to poke the stove and see whether there was any fire left in it. Kuei Shan poked, but found no fire. Pai Chang rose to poke it himself and succeeded in discovering a little spark. Showing it to his disciple, he asked, Is this not fire? Last week, our reality got shaken up by an event that most didn't predict. Or even saw it as a likely outcome. And it left many of us, instead of shock, disbelief, not knowing how to deal with it. Such a level of uncertainty. It's as if everything turned upside down. as if everything was upside, right, downside, right, upside down. Drastic change. And then, of course, the rising of social and racial discrimination with all its ramifications. There is that too, right? The months leading to all this and the results of this election have given rise to and justification for many to choose this kind of language, divisive language, divisive actions. And awaken something in us, something dormant and potentially very harmful that is in every one of us. You know, we, we want to believe that there are sides in this. And we want to believe that we are on the right side. And there are others on the other side, which is the wrong side. But how could that be? The wide open, empty sky. Who's measuring? How can you measure based on what? What are the parameters? But it's true. We can't ignore the language. We cannot ignore the ramifications. Regardless of sides, the seeds are there. Whichever seeds we water are the seeds that will grow, fester, manifest. And it is rising. I was in Florida last weekend for an Aikido seminar and spoke to a friend from South America. She lives in 
Fort Lauderdale. She told me about a friend of hers, also for South, from South America, who went to the mall and was speaking with her children in Spanish. Some white guy came by, started yelling at her. In this country, you should speak English with your children. It's one of many examples. It's happening. It is in us. Somehow, somehow what, is, what happened last week has given green light for all this to come out even more. I mean, it's not new. I think what is new is that people feel more comfortable to say it, to act this way. I've had many students who came to me called me, expressed frustration, depression. And we can't, we can't deny that, you know, we feel discouraged. Well, many of us feel discouraged. I mean, we, we have to also remember that many feel very encouraged by what happened last week. That also is true. But for us, practitioners, this should be a boost for our practice. This should strengthen our resolve rather than weaken it. This is what we practice. We should ignite wisdom and compassion in the face of adversities. Not just when thing, things go our way, whatever that may be, especially at times like that, when the divisiveness grows, when we feel threatened by it, when so many feel threatened by it. Yes, it is more challenging these days to find a spark of light in the heap of dark ashes. But a bodhisattva does not shy away from challenges and responsibilities. Bodhisattva is the one who is willing to open up the heart, willing to listen to human suffering, willing to engage in compassionate action unconditionally. This is what we cultivate on the cushion. And this is the time of need. In a way, we, through the practice, we become experts in dealing with uncertainties. If you practice for a while, you know that when we dive deeply into the study of impermanence and begin to recognize that the self is only a mental construct, we realize that form is marked by change, uncertainty, and instability. That's the nature of form. There is no other option. 
how can we expect to find stability in a constantly changing reality? So without indulging in expectations, disappointments, we can ask a very important question. Now what? Now what? Now that this is what is happening, what do we do? In this short dialogue between Kweishan and Pai Chang, Kweishan said he couldn't find the spark of light within the ashes. He looked and he gave up. But his teacher, Pai Chang, took charge with an unwavering trust and found the spark. And our task is to do the same. You know, we chant in the tradition I come from, we chant, delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to transform them. They're inexhaustible. And yet, I vow to transform them. One by one. How do we transform them? How else if not by igniting the spark within us and then share it with the world so it sheds light on unity in the midst of the chaos. To shed light on what is uniting us rather than what is dividing us. There's plenty of that. Divisiveness is not found outside. We experience it in this way. We see it as if it is us looking at others who divide. It's us dividing. It's us experiencing what it does. And it's us who can see unity. Soup to nuts, it's all on us. You know, Buddhism is very pragmatic, it's very realistic. It is about what happens. It doesn't deny, ignore, shies away from differences. It only helps us realize unity so we can celebrate differences rather than fear them. We can find strength in differentiation rather than create enemies. We have a text that we chant often. It's called the Sandokai, which means sameness and differences. It's a text that was written in the 8th century China by the Zen master Shitu Zhikian, who was a Dharma grandson of Huineng, the great sixth patriarch. Now, Shitu's practice and teachings developed during a time of divisiveness between two schools of Zen, one upholding a doctrine of gradual realization and the other upholding a doctrine of sudden realization. 
It's incredible how fascinated we are with conflicts and how much we love arguing with one another over almost anything, even when it comes to wisdom tradition of unity. Even in that, or with that, we find ways to argue. I know better. I have the way. My way is superior to your way. So at that time, there was a divide. And to understand how this divide was born, we need to go a little back to the time when the fifth patriarch, Hongren, was looking for a successor among his disciples. And he asked them to express their understanding by writing a verse. So the head monk, Shen Zhu, wrote this. The body is the tree of wisdom, the mind by the bright mirror. At all times, diligently polish it to remain untainted by dust. So Hui Neng saw this or heard about this. He was at the time illiterate young monk working in the rice shed. So when he heard about this, he asked someone to transcribe and post a verse on his behalf. His verse said, The tree of wisdom fundamentally does not exist, nor is there a stand for the mirror. Originally, there is not a single thing. So where would dust settle? Now, the first verse is quite good. It captures the vital aspects of disciplined and determined practice daily practice, which of course is vital. But it's not yet free of form. It's not yet free of potential for divisiveness. It's not yet free of a perceived goal. On the other hand, Hui Neng's verse goes much deeper and eliminates the attachment to form and to a destination. Where would you go if there's no place to reside? How do you get there? Where do you sit when you do get there? So when Hongren, the fifth patriarch, saw this verse, he knew right away who will become his successor. And he also knew that the monk will not, all the monks will not approve of his decision. So at midnight, he called Hui Neng to his quarters, gave him the teachings, then the robe and the bowl as a symbol of their transmission. And then he asked him to run away and disappear for 15 years for two reasons. First, to calm down things. Then, to deepen his realization before emerging as a Dharma teacher. So when he did emerge later on, 15 years later, he became the founder or the father of what was known back then as the Southern School of 
sudden realization. And Shen Zhu, the head monk who wrote the first verse, was instrumental in founding the northern school of gradual realization. The school that says you got to polish before you become something else. Nashitu, who composed the Sandokai, was in the lineage of Huineng. And to give you a flavor of his direct teaching, here's an example of how he dealt with questions. A monk once asked, what is liberation? Shitu said, who has bound you? Who has bound you? Another monk asked, what is the pure land? Shitu said, who has polluted you? And another occasion, a monk asked, what is nirvana? Shitu said, who has given you birth and death? In all these examples, these three examples and many others, you could see the sudden is available. And so is the gradual. And we also could see Huineng's spirit. Here it is, right now. Would you like to partake? Or do you like to wait for a while? Your unity is never hidden. We just got very good at distracting ourselves, believing what we think. So we look elsewhere, but it's never hidden. Many assumptions, right, which lead to such questions. What is liberation? How do you know you are bound? How do you know you're not liberated? What is the pure land? Who has polluted you? Who is polluting us right now? We can blame others, we can blame the elections, blame the uncertainty. There's always something or someone to blame. What does that do? It puts everything on hold. Right? We got better things to do than to experience liberation. Please feel free to move and adjust if you need. So I'd like to go through the verse, this Sandokai, paragraph by paragraph. Maybe it's going to help us. It begins with this. The mind of the great sage of India was intimately conveyed from west to east. While human beings can be wise or foolish, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. 
was intimately, is intimately conveyed the mind of the great sage of India. Right? It's not of the one who lived 2,500 years ago. It was conveyed, it is conveyed on a momentary basis. But again, do we see it? Are we in touch? Are we preoccupied? You know, practice is not something that should find its way to the priority list of our lives. It's not, I will get to it when I get through all the other things. We don't question practice. We just practice. And when it's not on the priority list, it's not a problem, it's not an issue. It's not a challenge. And when it's not on the priority list, it is about everything we care about. It's before we get to everything else. So when we get to everything else, there is clarity. We're not entangled. We are free to care. It says, while human beings can be wise or foolish, the way has no divisions. Yeah, we can be wise, we can be foolish. The way itself does not differentiate. But we experience differentiations. Some are wise, some are not so wise. The way does not belong to the wise more than to the foolish. Available to all, at all times. Now, there's a saying, differentiation without equality is wrong differentiation. Equality without differentiation is wrong equality. It's all just one thing that shows up in many ways, many colors, many flavors, many sounds. Second paragraph. The source shines clear and bright. The branching streams flow through the darkness. To be attached to things is illusion. To encounter the absolute is not yet enlightenment. The source, with the nature, oneness, whatever you want to call it, manifests everywhere and all times, intimately, undefinable. Now, the branching streams, referring to the many, flow through the darkness, referring to the oneness. Light and darkness are used in different ways in practice. You know, when you turn on the lights, you look around, you see many things. You see shapes, colors, shades. Turn off the lights, complete darkness. It all becomes one. It's like when the snow comes, it covers everything in this white blanket. 
and everything looks like one big giant carpet with protrusions. But the gaps between objects become blurry, insignificant. So in this case, in this reference, darkness is actually unity, not the darkness of stupidity. To be attached to things is illusion, it says, right? To be attached to the details of our storyline, to be attached to the thoughts that appear and disappear in our minds, to own the thoughts, to own the storyline, it's illusion. Can you deny the storyline? No. Does it matter? No. Just don't grasp. Or don't be the one who is grasping. Let it move. Let it flow. Don't own it. And it's fine. Own it and we get trapped. To encounter the absolute is not yet enlightened. Not yet enlightenment. We encounter, we have glimpses of unity. It feels great. We may want to stay there for a while. And then we jump right back into getting lost in the many, in the multiplicity. And then we go back into unity. Maybe some more glimpses. And then we jump back. And there is still a divide. As great as it feels, there is still a great divide. Because enlightenment stays as enlightenment and delusion stays as delusion. As Dogen said, delusion is enlightenment. Enlightenment is delusion. As much as we want these two to be separated, or not. Realization is not what we think it is. It's not another place to arrive at. The fate of mind says, because of not truly realizing oneness with suchness, there emerges an unenlightened mind. And consequently, consequently, its thoughts. These thoughts do not have any validity to be substantiated. Therefore, they are not independent of the original enlightenment. And then he says, this is Asvagosha, by the way. He says, it is like a case of a man who has lost his way. He is confused because of his wrong sense of direction. If he is freed from the notion of direction altogether then there will be no such thing as going astray. It is the same with us. Because of the notion of enlightenment, we are confused. 
But if we are freed from the fixed notion of enlightenment, then there will be no such thing as non-enlightenment or delusion. Because they are men of, or people of unenlightened, deluded mind, for them we speak of true enlightenment, knowing well that this is relative term, and we know what this relative term stands for. Independent of the unenlightened mind, there are no independent marks of true enlightenment itself that can be discussed. So it's not what we think it is. And it's not going to happen later. Because it is not born and it does not die. It is beyond what the mind can grasp, the thinking mind, that is. We can't grasp it. We can't understand it in such a way. There is nothing it does not include. There is nothing it excludes. Nothing to be, nothing to reject, nothing to deny. When the mirror has no stand, how can we reject? He goes on to say, every sensation and realm of consciousness intermingle even as they shine alone, interacting even as they merge, yet keeping their places in expressions of their own. So every sensation and realm of consciousness intermingle even as they shine alone. Turn off the lights. Everything is connected to everything. Turn it back on, and then we perceive gaps between objects. But nothing exists unto itself. It's just that our perceptions, the way we perceive the world, steals reality from us. It gives us an illusion of separateness. So, of course, we, we feel we have to grasp. We need a solid ground to stand on, some to hold on, some to believe in. Ideas to be defined by. Storyline to substantiate us. Make us feel worthy. Make us feel that we exist. intermingle even as they shine alone, interacting even as they merge. And then it says, yet keeping their places in expressions of their own. It's the same as our body, right? The body functions very well as one unit. The heart, the lungs, the skin, Everything does what it needs to do, but it does it in unison with all the other parts. Take the heart out, put it on a shelf. Is it a heart? What is it? 
it acts alone, it shines alone in the body with everything else, with all the other body parts. It does what it needs to do. The heart does not do what the lungs do. And yet, it's inseparable. We are the world. The world is exactly the way we are. It acts the same way. It just doesn't look the same. trust what we see, we trust what we think, we trust what we hear, and we get trapped. Then it says, sights vary in quality and form, sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. The dark makes all words one, the brightness distinguishes good and bad phrases. Sights vary in quality and form. Simple, profound statement. Sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. Yeah. Sometimes we're going to like what we hear. Sometimes we're going to hate it. It doesn't make it less so. Our opinions are not that important. We are not that important as separate little existences. The dark makes all worlds, all worlds one. The brightness distinguishes good and bad phrases. You turn on the lights, you're going to expect, you have to expect to see differentiation. It's not wrong. It's just the way it is. It's just that as soon as the lights are on, there is the likes, dislikes, and indifferent. Automatically, right away. As soon as the eyes land on an object, we give it a name, we categorize it, we label it. And it falls in one of those three boxes, likes, dislikes, indifferent. It happens so quickly. Most times we're not even aware of it. But we are aware of what it does to us, to our world. We're aware of what it steals from us and how it does it. The four elements return to their nature as a child turns to its mother. Fire is hot, wind moves, water is wet, earth hard. I see, ears hear, nose smell, tongue taste. It's the other side of the Hot Sutra, isn't it? Actually, it goes very well hand in hand with the Hot Sutra. 
Each is independent of the other, like leaves that come from the same root. And though leaves and root return to the source, both roots and leaves have their own purposes. It's a great example, isn't it? Look at a big tree. Look at what it consists. One tree. What the leaves do, the root does not. What the root does, the leaf cannot. And yet, each part of it is needed. All the parts work in unison. If only we can spend some time studying a tree, I think we will learn how to be much better human beings, much more helpful to one another, more kind to each other, more cooperating, function in unity, in the midst of multiplicity. So much, so much teachings around us, and so often we go right by it, and we're so preoccupied with nonsense. The Dharma is all around us. All we have to do is just pay a little attention. And we can learn. We actually can get better. Fire, wind, water, earth, right? Four elements. And here they're symbolically referred to what comprises of our body. Fire is the body heat, the wind, breath, water, body fluids, earth, bones. While these elements are different, they function in unity and always return to the one. Always are the one. Each. Not part of the one, the one. You cannot say that the hand is not you. It's not your hand. It's the one body. Same with the toe. Same with the ear. Same with the nose. Each is independent and yet one. You know, of course, in Heart Sutra, we chant, no eye, ear, to nose, tongue, body, mind. Because no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, there is an eye, and there is an ear, and there is a nose, and a tongue, and a body, and a mind. Because you are not here, you hear. Precisely because of that. But we don't function in darkness. We turn the lights on. And we encounter differences. Luckily for us, we have a practice. And last week on Wednesday morning, I was filled with gratitude 
to the practice, to my teacher, to all of you who are here so I can keep practicing. Filled with gratitude that I have found the practice. Within light there is darkness, but do not take it as darkness. Within darkness there is light, but do not see it as light. Light and darkness are a pair like the foot before and the foot behind in walking. Each thing has its own intrinsic value, expressed according to function and place. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Of course. Each thing has to have its own intrinsic value. You are utterly unique. Each one of us is utterly unique. In many ways. It's not an issue, no need to compare, no need to quantify. How can you compare it to itself? Like the foot before and the foot behind in, wa in walking, right? You know, without putting one foot, you cannot put the other one after it. If you're not here, I'm not here. Not because you're here to listen, I'm here to speak. Because there's no gap. Each thing has its own intrinsic value expressed according to function and place. Ordinary life fits the absolute as a box and its lid. Within formless, there is form. Within form, there is formlessness. Right? The absolute and the relative are inseparable. Light and darkness are not two. We have to turn the lights off so we can turn the lights on. We have to understand what darkness is. So this is what we do. We practice. We go deeply into our zazen to recognize unity, oneness with all things. And we emerge out of that into the light, into the multiplicity, armed with true understanding that while we look different, we're not. One foot in front of the other, the relative and the absolute, one does not exist without the other. It fits like a box and it's lit. This is actually, I don't know if you know, but Japanese woodworking is, well, you know because you look around and very precise. Fits perfectly. 
maybe not so much in our woodworking here in the West, but that's where this is taken from. And it says, the absolute meets the relative like two arrows meeting in midair. And this is taken from a story about two, about a teacher and a student, archery. And the student got so good at it that he wanted to match his teacher's skills and to prove it. So at one point, as the teacher started to walk away from him, he drew the bow and wanted to shoot the arrow. And his teacher perceived it, turned around, and one swift move shot an arrow back, and the two arrows met in midair. Now this is the precision. This is how the absolute and the relative work together. It's not how we uh, function, actually, you know, but this is practice. This is why it's called practice, because we practice to get better and better and better at actualizing the fundamental point, at bringing the darkness and the light together so we don't get lost in the multiplicity, in differentiation. So practice never ends. No one arrives. No one graduates. It continues forever. And it says, hearing this, you should grasp the great reality. Do not judge by any standards. Maybe that's enough. Maybe that's all we need to hear. Do not judge by any standards. Period. No standards. No quantifying. No comparing. If you do not see the way, you do not see it even as you walk on it. Isn't that true? When you walk the way, you draw no nearer, progress no farther. Who fails to see this is mountains and rivers away. I respectfully say to those who wish to be enlightened, do not waste your time by night or day. Do not waste your time by night or day. Right here, right now. It's a practice of realization, not to realization. It's already happening. It's always been happening. Rumi says, that which, is, that which you are seeking is seeking you. That which you are seeking is seeking you. And when we seek, that seeking becomes a veil of mountains and rivers. We are mountains and rivers away from it. Now, can this be means to an end? 
Can this be means to this? Where do we arrive? Who arrives? Next week, Thanksgiving. Time to appreciate. Somebody asked me about, she was terrified, asked about how to deal with, actually a few people asked that, how to deal with family these days that don't quite think like me. Family members who are on the other side, right? So this is the time. This is the time for us to find unity. Although we don't want to. To see, to feel, to express and, and experience how much we have, how much more we have in common. How much more is uniting us than dividing us. It's a time for appreciation, for the practice, for friends, for families, everyone and everything around us. So let's do that. Let's make a decision every day to not be swayed, to not believe what the mind says. Do not believe what the eyes see, what the, he what the ears hear. To go deeper, turn off the lights, then turn the back on. Thank you.